0: Hello, welcome to Healing Out Loud with me, your host, Jackie Shea. This is a place to relate to the darkest days and be inspired by ultimate triumph. Each week, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on, highly informed about something new, and connected to a tribe of amazing humans. Because the only way out is through, but it helps to have a tribe walking with you. Hi friends, maybe you've noticed the episodes have been coming in every other week lately. Rest assured, I'm not going anywhere. If you follow me at JackieShea.com, then you know I have an intention to slow way down as we close the loop on 2018. With that intention, my podcast habits have shifted to every other week just for the moment as my client roster is getting longer and more awesome and I just don't want to run myself ragged. Just wanted to clear that up. So this week, I have an awesome guest, Preet Royce, an energy worker, dancer, and relationship coach. Preet was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis MS at 27 years old. She's tried all of the conventional medicine, or a lot of it, with varying degrees of success and eventually learned that it's in living an authentic life that she finds most healing. For her, that means dance. Dance. Listen in to hear more about how her journey with MS led her to the spiritual world of healing and dancing, and how she went all the way to West Africa to do that. I mean, if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what will. Follow me on Instagram at Shea Jackie. become a patron and support this podcast if you love it and want more content at patreon.com slash healing out loud. Join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shay Facebook group and go to JackieShea.com to download your free self-care checklist. I love you guys. All right, let's jump into this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back for another kick-ass episode. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Preet Royce, a tantric worker, energy healer, and yoga teacher. Hi, Preet. Hi. Thanks so much for being here and being brave. I know we are discussing some pretty vulnerable topics today, most notably your MS diagnosis that came at 27 years old and, and how you've found a great amount of healing. I'm so glad. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me on here. Thank yeah. you for the you know, the honor and being able to uh, speak my story, and hopefully it resonates um, with a few folks uh, who feel more empowered to be themselves. So thank you.
0: Oh, amazing. I'm so glad you decided to come on because I've been wanting to do an episode on MS for a while, and I just haven't met the right person. So before we begin, I just want to say that MS is multiple sclerosis. And it's, um, it, it can often be a disabling disease of the central nervous system that, what does it do? It disrupts the flow of information uh, between the brain and the body, right? That's right. <laughs> as far as they know. <laughs> right.
1: Because the more that I've gotten into this world, even talking to conventional Western um, practitioners, they, you know, it's still very metaphysical in that they don't. Quite even know if it's an autoimmune disease, but yes, that is the short of it.
0: Oh, interesting. They don't know if it's autoimmune. MS is one of the things that people with Lyme can end up getting misdiagnosed with because some of the symptoms mimic that of Lyme disease and other and and chronic fatigue syndrome and all of these other things. But MS is more easily diagnosed through um, MRIs, I believe. That's right. Yep, that's
1: right. And then a couple of, for me, it wasn't just the MRI because it couldn't tell how long ago the lesions were there. So it's also having to wait until new ones show up. Um And then for me, I needed the spinal tap uh, because there's certain, in the brain serum, you know, there's certain uh, bands that show up differently for people with MS. So there were a couple other um, tests that I needed to do as well. But MRI is usually the one uh, that people go to that finally get diagnosed
0: that way. Mm. <clears throat> Interesting. We'll definitely talk more. We'll get more in depth on that a little later, but I want to know, I'm really interested always in my guests in what life was like before MS. I know you had some other physiological symptoms, but for the most part you were healthy and well and totally functional and energetic. So tell us about what a day in the life looked like before MS symptoms started.
1: Okay, (laughs) totally functional. Um, (laughs) I'm giggling at that because uh, I feel like it's very cliche to say um, illness was a blessing, and I I wish I could have gotten the messages that I needed to get without having this tornado hit me. Um, But I was kind of crazy, and I say that, you know, mindful of that word, um, not using it in a negative connotation, but I was just driving my body um, very hard and very much in that, um, you know, go get them, grind, hustle, even though I was working with teenagers and working in an after school program and like, you know, environments that really shouldn't have been necessarily what I was making them. Um, but it was very much my personality since I was little, since I was a little kid. And I told myself kind of that it needed to be that way. So just, um, you know, probably, <laughs> Uh, kind of chronically fatigued, like, you know, get up, get up extra early, get on the elliptical, go super hard, (laughs) (laughs) like commute way too long to work or whatever, drink like an insane amount of coffee. Um, I have been getting chronic migraines since I was 13. So those were really bad. Like right before, um, getting this diagnosis, I'd be in my office with like giant sunglasses on. And uh, salon paws, were like, which are, like, these, like, heating, cooling pads, like, all over my face, <laughs> just until 2 o'clock. And then I would get in this little bus and, like, go pick up the kids and act like everything was normal. Um, and my body would. You know, I could just turn it all off and perform and for four hours or whatever, and then the kids would leave and I'd be exhausted. Um, and then getting back home on the uh, whatever, the tea, and then, Drinking too much, you know, too many glasses of wine and a bunch of sugar and whatever. So that was, like, right (laughs) before I got diagnosed. Um,
0: Really busy. You know,
1: it wasn't always, yeah, it wasn't always that, you know, kind of rough. But I think I've always been a little rough with myself. Um, Just very intense and, uh, you know, seeing the limits of basically where I could push my body and my spirit and my time and uh, so right before and probably many years before, um, I was living a lifestyle that was intentionally a little bit harsh. Right. Yep. and then and then it changed. yeah.
0: Right. Me too, I totally relate to that. I, I wrote a, an essay once on, um, called, Can I Come Into the Out Now? But anyway, it was about how my life was, I had to learn all of this stuff through illness. Like you're saying, it was a great blessing and I totally relate. Like I wish I could have learned it without the illness for sure. <laughs> but okay. there's there's this picture of me at my work desk um, wearing a pair of rollerblades <laughs> and with the roller blades like up on top of the desk while i'm like drinking a coffee and doing some work and that was that is just so symbolic of what my life was like just like <laughs> ca- like i'm doing work but i'm ready to go for a blade like <laughs> so so completely wild and i think that's really <clears throat> common for a lot of people and women especially that end up getting getting yeah. sick um So what what were the initial symptoms? What started to happen that made you, you know, curious?
1: Um, I was visiting my family in Michigan. So I had been living in Boston for a little while. And um, I would just start – there were just like a couple days where I started to – I remember one time I ran into a dresser and I was was telling my body and thinking – okay, stop now, you know, like, t- telling my body, like, we're not going anymore, you know, like, the- time to stop. And I ran into it anyways. And that was like, okay, something is happening where my brain is not communicating with my body because it was, I had to be very conscious about it. So I stopped driving for maybe like a week. Um, And I had just gotten off. I was t- taking Topamax for my migraines. And I had tapered off, I was tapering off of it. Um, so I was just like, okay, this was a super strong drug for me. I was having a lot of side effects. This is probably just the side effects of coming off of this. Um, and then I went back to Boston and moved to like this big move right before starting work after vacation. Um, I had been working there a year, but again, it was kind of a stressful job <laughs> that I was making more stressful. And did this move until like 3 a.m., Um And so that was just really stressful and, like, lifting heavy things, you know, with my ex-partner at the time and, you know, doing everything on our own. And it was super hot that day in Boston, too, like, you know, 95 or something. And sat down when I finally we got everything moved. And then I just started to see sparkles everywhere, kind of like I've had auras before with migraine, but this was, like, super intense. And then I just all the vision on my right side started to shift. I can't really describe it because usually when they say optic neuritis for MS, they'll say, um, you know, it, the, my side effects didn't really seem to fit into the standard of whatever that's supposed to be. Um, like at certain points I was seeing quadruple vision on my right side and supposedly that's not possible, although I experienced it. <laughs> so mm. You know it is. Um, so it, it, yeah, it was just my right side basically, uh, shut down in a way, but also was giving me all this like false information too. And so I, you know, started to work the next day, but got some help crossing the street, um, tried to play it off, and then like midway through the work, because it was, we were doing a high ropes, um, <laughs> we were doing a high ropes uh, team building day. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God it was like the universe being like, here you go. Are you going to be honest about where you're at? Um, Wow. And then the theme we were doing was truth. It was like being honest with each other. So I was like, you know what? I just got to be honest. Like, (laughs) I'm looking at you all from the left um, because this is what's happening on my right. And I don't know what's going on. But I still did. Someone was willing to work with me. We did high ropes. It ended up being really good for my spirit. Um, Like, okay, I can work around this. But yeah. So that was the onset, but it was about three months of having that visual stuff before there was any um, diagnosis that came with it. So it was just kind of dealing with it, and then it was slowly getting better. um, You know, as the as everything heals.
0: So were you panicking, or were you? What were you thinking? during this during
1: I this went back. It was yeah there was definitely moments of panic but it was almost I think this is kind of my character where it's just like again like well what do we need to do you know like more like assessing and um maybe not thinking about it too much or indulging in that too much because the immediate what needed to happen immediately was like um you know survival uh but to me that was my survival, right? It was kind of like shut down my feelings around it. Don't really let myself like process <laughs> that this is terrifying. Um
0: <laughs> right. to you
1: know, even cross the street to get to work, you know, let alone navigate the bus, let alone navigate like right. um I couldn't drive I did, you know, tell my work that I was supposed to drive every day to go pick the kids up. Then it became a thing with work where they were threatening to um, you know, let me go when I was looking into lawyers and it was just like really stressful. Um, so because all of that happening at the same time, it was kind of like, I just need to function. I need to do, you know, what I need to do. So I didn't really let myself have my own feelings, which probably kept me more functional for that time where maybe it was needed. Um, I'm not saying that's good or bad, I'm just saying that that is i I really didn't let myself go there.
0: I like, think what might
1: the seed or
0: right? I think that's so normal. Denial is not a choice <laughs> and it's like totally a survival mechanism at my absolute sickest when people around me were like concerned I was gonna die. I was like, I think I'm feeling pretty okay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm pretty okay guys. So I think it's okay. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to keep eating this celery and it's going to be okay. No, I mean, (laughs) um, so you, did you get to a doctor right away?
1: I, yeah, I think it probably was like that first week or something, you know, I, I, it was pretty right away because it was so severe. It was like, okay, <laughs> right. you know, I can't pretend like this is something else. Like I thought it was still the drugs and I went to a neurologist and said that, you know, that I'm getting off this drug and, um, that's kind of what I think I might be. And, you know, we did an MRI and there were lesions, but they couldn't, you know, they seemed like, well, those could have been old or, um, which is interesting because they had those symptoms, um, but the lesions weren't showing up with dye, which they normally do if they're in, like, the recent past. So, you know, it's possible I could have had the lesions before and was having those delayed effects, or I was having these effects even without a lesion directly linked to them. That's what I'm talking about, the mystery with MS. Um, right. So no matter what it was, yeah, I got to a doctor right away. and um, But then there were all these tests, you know, because we couldn't confirm that. And then it was a couple months in that I started having worse symptoms.
0: Yeah, walk us through. Walk us through this process.
1: So I lost a bunch of like, again, I've always been, (laughs) I've always been a sugar fiend. Um, not always but for a long time. Um, so there was this that stretch a couple months in where I was like eating really like an excessive amount of of sugar, like those bins where you go to the grocery store and they're, like, the grocery store is selling their own kind of chocolate chip cookies and it's, like, a whole, like, little carton thing. Like, I was going through, like, one of those, like, in two days, you know? Like, it was, like, a lot of sugar. <laughs> and I was losing weight. Like, I was thinner than I've ever been and weight's kind of always been a thing for me. It's been an insecurity of mine. And so I was excited, you know? It's like, well, I feel lousy. But look at me, you know. Like I mm. Finally fit into this dress, or whatever. It was like my one consolation prize that I was taking from it, like, um, you know, and that I couldn't possibly be doing harm to my body because um, I was in shape, right? Like in quotes. Oh uh, wow, <laughs> so that's I was, such an. I
0: was shape. <laughs> that's yeah. such an so interesting. Detail, weight,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah societally, yeah. I can't be doing harm to my body if I look in shape. Hmm. That's so uh-huh. great. Uh-huh. So, okay. So
1: that was kind of hanging out. Um, and then, which was clearly a sign, you know, I was eating and I was just losing more and more and more weight. And, uh, yeah, I guess the headaches started to get real bad. Like I've had chronic migraines again for a long time, but they, you know, really picked up. And I went to um, this neurologist again and was just like, what is happening? You know, like, what is happening? I feel awful. <laughs> and she gave me the, in a very perhaps polite, careful way, this is all in your head. She, she said, there's nothing physically going on with you that would explain this. There's nothing physically going on in your brain that would explain you feeling the way that you're feeling or feeling worse. We don't know what it is, but there's nothing. Basically, like, there should be no reason why you feel this way instead of, like, oh, you feel this way. Like, let's investigate that. So I asked for another MRI. um, And when they did another MRI, new lesions were there. So then that's when the the diagnosis came. But it was still, like, a little bit tentative. Um, I started on uh, Avonex. Uh, right away, a medication for it. Um, Start. I don't know if I started to feel better, you know, like I don't know if I ever felt better on those medications, but I felt like I was doing something
0: towards
1: not deteriorating. So I think emotionally I felt better, like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is a protocol. Here we go. So I think there was some kind of, okay, I got an answer. I could report back to my work. Um, who were still really lousy about it. <laughs> mm. But still, it was like, you know, and then they got at least like a name for it um, and some hope, you know, for them because they thought, okay, now she's taking drugs or whatever, she'll be back to driving or whatever mm-hmm. it is that they hoped for. Um, so
0: what is the typical so, treatment? What is the typical treatment that they give to people diagnosed with MS?
1: Um, it's medication. So there's a couple of different kinds, like EvanX. Is, there's only really like three or four kinds, but that may have changed because I haven't kept us up to date since I haven't been on them for a while. But um, they have, uh, like, Avonex is a big one, and then I don't even remember the name, started with a B of another one I did. Basically, these interferon treatments, um, which are designed to shut down the immune system. Um, so with the understanding that, or the, at least the idea that MS is autoimmune and the immune system is overreacting to things that aren't actually there um, or to treating the body as its own invader, we will take drugs that will suppress it um, so that the body can stop doing that.
0: Okay, so they're <laughs> so, all uh, immunosuppressants.
1: No, I think those first two are. And then I ended up trying, you know, uh, Texadera, which is in another class. Um, there's a couple other drugs that are meant to kind of duplicate some positive things that are happening in the body. Um, you know, Avinex at least, Avonex involved giving both the first two treatments I involved did involve giving yourself shots. So Avonex involved giving yourself a pretty deep muscular shot once a week. And not everybody felt like they had the flu, but I did. So it was like guaranteed every Sunday that I was going to have the flu. <laughs> oh, wow. So it was like great. Yeah, I was, like, very much, like, being, like, okay, this is good for me. You know, like, really having to talk myself off to, all right, get ready for it. Nice. Um, and I got pretty feeble and uh, lost a lot of weight and was having really bad headaches and stuff like that. So I switched to one where I was having to give myself a shot every day, um, which is is not deep muscular. It's actually, like, it's just, like, a little, almost like a prick but you have to keep rotating the sites cause they get raised and red and itchy and bruised and da 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 da. So it's still not pleasant. Um, <laughs> but that is the same methodology, the same idea. So I was still having the same effects. Um, it was a different drug, but I was having, you know, it's mainly my migraines that have stopped me from doing, um, Western medicine cause I just, I already have them all the time. I don't have any tolerance for having super, super bad ones. Um, Cause I just can't function right. And then the third one I tried, you went actually went in and went in for infusion. So you go in, I can't remember how often, but I think it was just once a month. You go in for two, three hours, and basically, you go hooked up to an IV, get the medicine coursing through you, and then um, you're good, you know, for the month or whatever. So that one just involves going to the hospital and getting like longer treatments. I know that they have pill forms now. Um, I, you know, I thought about getting on, uh, and I think that's what I'm saying when I say tech that I think it was something that I researched. I almost did. Um, but I just, just, you know, everything in my spirit and my body was like, this isn't going to be it either, honey. Right. So I just decided I'm not going to do that either. We'll just see how it goes not doing that. Yeah. And I think they've come out with a couple other things since too.
0: So how long did you try Western medicine for? Did you incorporate any holistic values with the Western medicine? And, and, and when, and why did you decide to stop?
1: I think it was two and a half years total that I did those three, maybe a little bit more. And, um, I started the first one. At the same time, I think that I was starting, uh, Kundalini Yoga Teacher Training. So that was like my first kind of, um, you know, foray into <laughs> uh, spirituality, into what, <laughs> what was being released by me just chanting and using my voice, moving my body that way, being in a meditative space, being in a community that was holding that space, um, being able to have, to slow down, uh, to do something like Shavasana, which was (laughs) new for me. So I decided to do kind of, you know, Kundalini training is intensive. It it kind of depends where you do it, but this was intensive, you know, it's nine months. There's a ton of homework in between. You're doing a daily practice, a two and a half hour daily practice. You're getting up early. You know, if you're really doing it, that's what you're doing. So I went in deep, um, and that was what I did kind of at the same time that I was uh, doing this medicine. And then slowly started teaching at the same time, teaching Kundalini. So that was really like, you know, that was my practice at the same time that I was, I was doing this medicine. I may have started and may have overlapped that I started my, that I did my Reiki training as well while I was on some of this medicine. But I don't think so. I think my, the biggest overlap was um, getting into the yoga world, getting into the spirituality world, getting into my body.
0: <laughs> and did you do that? Yeah. Were you interested in getting into the kundalini world and the spirituality world because of illness? Did some feelings push you to thinking like I need to explore some other avenues and some stillness?
1: Just like I became a vegetarian instantly because I thought that that's what you were supposed to do if you wanted to be healthy. (laughs) I was just, like, going off of, like, you know, okay, well, you know, my body's freaking out. What can I do? Because I'm very much a personality type of if I'm not doing everything, then I'm not doing enough.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Or at least that's been my pattern, you know, in the past, Uh, which I don't believe. But it kicks in. So it was definitely... Um, feeling like, okay, like I needed to become a vegetarian, which I stayed for two years. Um, <laughs> and until I went to a holistic doctor who was like, I don't think this is right for you. And as soon as I ate meat, I felt better. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, you know, it was the same way with uh, with doing movement. It was kind of like, oh, I think I'm supposed to do yoga. You know, that's what people do when they want to get healthy, right? <laughs> and I just, I could not get into it. Like I tried to go to these classes, vinyasa, hatha, and I was just like bored and distance, and um, it just felt very body-based, which I'm very embodied, but it was missing that spirituality piece, which I didn't know I was missing, because I couldn't, I hadn't had experience with it yet, so I couldn't really name it, or at least I hadn't had experience where I was, like, conscious of like, huh, oh, this is what this feels like, so I had a friend who I worked with at that same after-school program who was like, I think, have you ever tried Kundalini? It's real weird. I bet you'd like it. <laughs> like, that's all you need to say, you know. Like, she knew where to meet me, even though she had only done it once herself. Um, and so I went to one class, and I ended up being the only person to come. <laughs> so it was just me and the teacher, and it was a subteacher. And, uh, you know, I think it was a subteacher in a pinch, because she didn't seem really used to teaching. it. It was, like, not a good class. And yet, I had this amazing experience, you know. Where I was just like, "Wow, that was not a good class. I'm all by myself." <laughs> but I suddenly feel so different in my body and my spirit, and just like, "Wow, wow, I, I'm, I'm gonna be a teacher." So it was like I had that one class, and then i was like, "That's it. <laughs> wow, I'm signing up. <laughs> I was like, this is what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah." Cool. Deeply, deeply um, had an impression on me, but I did not. I went into it with the idea: of this is what I should do.
0: Right. We uh, <laughs> we did an episode on here about Kundalini yoga specifically because I do think it is the most mm-hmm. healing form of yoga. Um, Mm -hmm. 100% and personally, and that's just an opinion, but it's been true for me and the people I know that have healed from illnesses have also gone toward Kundalini yoga because it really does, it really does give you the stillness and the spirituality aspect. So Mm -hmm. did anything you did from conventional medicine, do you, what, what do you think is the best thing you did from conventional medicine? Physical therapy.
1: Um, and I think that varies very well. <laughs> physical therapy is like that term like you can find a physical therapist who's just wildly different from another physical therapist. um so I've done a lot of different rounds of physical therapy um for a lot of different reasons, but there is a there was one woman in particular in Boston who she was just such a gentle spirit um and used physical therapy as an umbrella to do a lot of energetic work that was totally not within the realm of traditional physical therapy. But, you know, it was this fusion of like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to have you do these simple exercises. I'm going to have you do strengthening. I'm going to have you do the things that are going to get these muscles to relax. But I'm also going to be doing this other thing. And I'm also going to you know, mentioned Joe Dispenza, like all these things that got really got my mind to expand because she was doing, she was meeting me where I was at, which was right at the cusp of all I believe in is Western medicine. And, you know, my mind is starting to expand, not even my mind, my, you know, soul is starting to expand into like the vast possibilities that this is all just energy. So she was somewhere in the middle. Um, That's and so really, cool. Yeah, it really, yeah, it got me to, like, you know, I'm going to do all these stretches with more motivation to do all the stretches and do all the things because those really had a significant impact.
0: That's like, that so cool. was At
1: that time when I went to her, I was coming back from a relapse. The scariest one yet, but that's the last one I've had. And that was a... I don't even... Sometimes I lose track of time. Like, two years ago, two and a half, three, um, where I lost the use of my right leg. So that was just kind of dragging. And... You know that was part of the recovery was going and doing these exercises and keeping my body that it could you know use its muscles and not have to cramp up and not have to overcompensate or completely let go <laughs> and uh you know that was part of it um, and because of that, you know, the recovery I think wasn't so long because yeah, it was just like a really a really, really beautiful experience of being of being met.
0: Cool. Are you still doing your physical therapy at home? No.
1: Okay. Physical therapy is <laughs> so boring to me. Um, you know, and I, I, I love them. Uh, I'm gonna go get some physical therapy for my sister later. Uh, so, so I still honor it. Um, but I would much rather do Kundalini yoga and dance. And I just, for as long as I've thought that, like, oh, I'm supposed to do my exercise and strength training, da da da. I'd much rather find a way to strengthen and do all those things um, while also feeding my soul. Yeah. <laughs> while also being like, you know, and this is releasing all the emotions that I know are behind a lot of this pain or stuckness or whatever. Like, at this point, I know how to move it. It's just a matter of me allowing that. And and instead of resisting or telling myself, I should be doing these types of movements or diets or fill in the blank. It's, I'm going to do what I know at this point, in this moment, <laughs> feels authentic for me to be able to heal my body, you know?
0: Yeah. So, when did you start to realize, to believe that the core of your illness and pain was unexpressed emotion? I think
1: er, probably, okay, so probably pretty soon in the diagnosis when I was working at this job, and it was like, I was so go, go, go right before the diagnosis, and then I was just knocked on my butt, and um, that frustration, which was, like, brought me right back to toddlerhood, I threw a lot of temper tantrums, at least I'm told, when I was younger, <laughs> when I could not, use, when I did not have my words yet, there was just a freakout multiple times a day.
0: So I'd already been told that, you
1: know, I already knew that that was like, okay, maybe that's ingrained, like part of my personality. When I can't express myself, I flip out. Um, and so I was already in a, in a job where that was like, felt that way. Like you can't really say what you think, uh, otherwise there's going to be repercussions. Um, and then my body was acting in a way where I couldn't control it and not cooperating with me. So I didn't feel heard or understood. And, um, You know, I just didn't really feel like there was an outlet to even talk about illness or to talk about how I wanted to feel. (laughs) So as the anger, I think, really built when I started in Kundalini Yoga training, it was like, that was me first getting in touch, I think, with how angry I was, not just around illness, but like my whole life. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, here here it is. (laughs) I'm a really angry person. And that came out the first several months of training. I was like, I'm that lady, you know, who's (sighs) like hating on everything, still coming, still dutifully doing all the homework, but being like, I have circled and underlined all things I disagree with. And (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk to someone about it, you know, like, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this very angrily. Um, I think that kind of summed up. You know, I was just like, wow, I felt this way my whole life. I think certain parts of it are, you know, personality-based. I remember being very young, pacing, wringing my hands, being like, there's so much going on with the world. I need to do something. I need to save the world. I'm too young to even know what that looks like. But I'm supposed to do something. So I think just that intent. I've always been that way. So that intensity and then just being really mad at injustice. And there's a lot of things my whole life that I felt are just, whether that's personal, you know, something happening, or I'm just like, that's not fair. Um, mostly seeing it in other situations, things that are going on in the world, things that are right next to me, people being untreated unfairly in my class or my perception of that, um, classmates being mean to one another or whatever. Like it just, it gets me fired up. Um And so it was that training that really brought it home, like, oh, wow, I've been so angry and I've been carrying this around in my body as like, not as a punch, but, you know, like, kind of, kind of as a, it was a much more comfortable place for me to take it on and feel yucky, even without this illness, just to feel the intensity of it, than it was to try and pretend like everything was good. And to me, it felt like a betrayal, at least at that time, to pretend, oh, like, everything's right in the world. Let me just be happy. It didn't feel fair. It didn't feel fair to feel happy and easeful in my body because look at all this injustice going on. Mm-hmm. I have to somehow internalize that and show this is not okay. This is not okay with me. It shouldn't be okay with anybody. You know, we should be angry. Like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Like, very, <laughs> like, um, yeah. I mean, that was, like, the first, knowingness that, like, I am carrying this in my body. But it wasn't until doing Guadalini and releasing some of that and seeing how that felt. Um, chanting in particular, which I used to not be able to do at all um, without just, like, hysterically crying and, like, having to leave the room being like, whoa, I don't know what's happening, but I need to remove myself. I'm causing other people, you know, a disruption to their practice. Um, And it was like, oh, like, and it took me a little while to realize, oh, it's it's using my voice that's bringing me to tears, like this honest expression of how I feel. That's what's moving me to tears of just like, wow, I've been holding this in. Um, so it was really the practices uh, with Kundalini Yoga, which morphed into, you know, dance and other things. You know, it wasn't until the last couple of years that it's really been driven home. Um, but that was my first introduction, maybe, like, in 2013.
0: Right. So cool. And and the cool thing for me about doing this podcast is that I get to talk to all of these people, and I get to see some common themes come up around healing. And people who are doing really well today actually have a lot of commonalities in how they healed. And one of those things mm. is expressing your emotions, Um for people with illnesses like like ours that are kind of elusive, at least, I can speak to that. And for me, I have direct experience with having an emotion trapped in my body, releasing it, and feeling physically better immediately. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. for me, there have been moments where it is absolutely immediate and there have been moments where it's not and it takes a long time, but – I think, I think it's so interesting to see that, that common thread there. So thank you so much for talking about that. And I think it's true. Emotions get trapped in our body and they do wreak havoc. And you really let yourself have that expression and you brought up dance. So I absolutely want to talk about dance and where you're at today. So let's take a quick break for the weekly challenge. Welcome to our weekly challenge segment where we arm you with new tools each week to kick some self-care butt. As you explore all of these new options presented weekly, my hope is that you will come to collect a number of quick ways to take care of yourself inside and out. You will essentially have your very own and very handy self-care toolkit. Some of the challenges may not work for you and some will seem perfectly tailored to you. We are building up your defenses, inspiring your mind, body, and spirit toward total wellness. Keep in mind that the goal is always progress, not perfection. The only rule is that you are never allowed to beat yourself up. Keep me posted on your progress. Stay accountable. It helps. Okay, let's hit this week's challenge. Okay, Breet, tell us what this week's challenge is. Uh this week,
1: your challenge is to dance to a song that encapsulates your feelings, which, huh, if you want to do this every day, that feeling is probably going to change. Um, so to not have to get stuck <laughs> too much on what the song is and just let that come forth. And you're going to dance. We all are dancers. So This can be twinkling your toes. If you're, you know, stuck in your bed currently, that's your state. It can be shaking your hips, which does amazing things for releasing or wiggling your shoulders to a full out, um, you know, dance up on. And anything that you can't physically do, just letting yourself visualize it. Letting yourself visualize as big of movements as you want and desire and your soul desires despite whatever your physical body is in the present moment. So dance. Dance
0: one song. I love it. Dance one song that encapsulates what you're feeling. And I love your modifications. I love that you know that some people can't get out of bed and just have to twinkle their toes and shake their shoulders or shake their head back and forth or visualize I love this challenge. Dance has done amazing things for me and my clients and people I work with. Like I, I watch dance transform a person in minutes. Um, okay. So tell us – so guys, that's your challenge. Thank you, Preet, for the challenge. We haven't had one like that yet. Dance, 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 dance every day. It only takes a couple minutes a day. And let me know how that goes. Follow me on Instagram at Jackie for updates on my own dancing. And Preet, tell us why dancing is so special to you and how you ended up on this path as a dancer.
1: So I did dance when I was younger. I did uh, ballet in something like 6th or 7th grade. And um, I remember like feeling the promise of that but mostly being really self-conscious about being in a leotard. I mean, that's really where most of my energy and attention was going. And the fact that I could not lift my leg in the way that I thought or imagined um, that the other people could, yeah, the other mostly girls. Um, So it was really in insecurity, not free expression. <laughs> so I stopped doing that <laughs> and um didn't really revisit dance. Uh, You know, until, like, I don't know, 18, 19. I mean, I danced a lot in college, but I had to drink a lot. I mean, I didn't have to, but that's what I would do. I'd drink a lot and then feel like, oh, now I can just be my fullest self, you know, whatever. And people would be like, where did this come from? How are you just, like, I have these moves. Where does dance, you know, whatever. (laughs) You're a dancing queen. And then it would just... I would sober up, you know, the next day. It wouldn't, wouldn't be like that until the next weekend or whatever. Um, so again, I, I don't feel like I really got the emotional release from it. It was more performance. It was more, it was uninhibited, obviously, because I was, you know, taking substances to, to not be in my head, to not be insecure about it. And it was also, it wasn't for me, you know, it was, um, a little bit, you know, to be funny or to fit in or whatever, whatever the stories were at that young age. And uh, that kind of kept up, you know, throughout my adult years. I think with my ex-partner, she was so free um, and silly uh, dancing that it got me to loosen up a little bit and, and get sober. And, and we took dance, you know, we took uh, salsa lessons together and, whatever, you know, like I started to like foray into it a little bit. Um but it wasn't honestly it wasn't until our divorce that just something clicked, snapped, whatever (laughs) you want to turn it, um, something happened in me and that year that I decided to stay in Boston, really I just wanted to run away. All my friends, the yoga studio I've been working at, the Kundalini studio closed, it was like my sanctuary. Um, all the friends that I had which were really from there just dispersed, you know, to the wind, to other places in New England, all the signs were kind of like, well, I should go too, you know, I don't have a partner anymore, my friends have left, I just lost my job, you know, then my first foray back into the workforce, um, I should get out of here, but, I, you know, I'm doing enough spiritual things, you know, spirit was talking to me, she was like, I'm not done with you yet in Boston, stay, stay a year, so I stayed. Um, and I started just doing a bunch of things on my own, uh, going to slam poetry on my own, going to protests on my own, going to art galleries on my own. And then I started going to dancing on my own to this party in Boston, Ooh-hoo-hoo, which is, um, Afrobeat, and, uh, there'd be a drummer there. And there's something about drums that just calls to me, you know, like I wish I could even, uh, pfft trying to conceptualize it in some way. But it's like I, I hear it. I can hear it from, you know, a mile away. And <laughs> just start dancing and going towards that drum. And uh, I was getting so much healing from going out alone, not having to be in a group, not having to talk to anybody, but also not being closed off, interacting with a lot of people on the dance floor, um, you know, being able to do this sober, like, because I, I, you know, I quit drinking because of my MS. You know, a couple, you know, at least a year, that year. It's um, been a couple years, and yeah, that was like my first, like, oh wow, this feels really good. Like I'm healing myself for myself, and it was a couple months into doing that that I started. I got um, uh, like an intern, not an internship, but like a work study. At, a dan- at the dance complex in Boston, and started just being around other people dancing. I, like, rarely could get to a class by just being in an atmosphere of other people just moving their bodies. And I started going to this class every Saturday, Ethno-Haitian, and it was amazing. And it was, like, it was the dancing, but it was also the community. It was the people being, like, yeah, we're all going to do this together. We're going to express, we're going to praise, we're going to grieve, we're going to, you know, whatever we're feeling, like, we're going to do this together. It was that, it was a combination of, of dance, but also community, of being seen, of being witnessed, you know, in my strength and in my crumble. And you know, I cried at those classes and it wasn't abnormal to people, um, or if it was, you know, whatever. Like, it didn't matter to me, it didn't matter to them, and then just keep dancing, you <laughs> just do it again. Um, and there's so much freedom in it. Uh, and it was during those classes that I decided I'm a dancer. I don't, you know, like I haven't had any training or, you know, unless you want to count (laughs) fifth grade ballet or whatever. But, yeah, like I'm a dancer. This is what runs through my blood. This is how I move my emotions. This is how I express myself. This is how I'm loved. This is how I want to be in the world. It's fluid in this way. And when I'm not, that's when I get stuck in the, you know, type A productivity, ruin myself raggedness. Um, and there can obviously be both, but it was like acknowledging like, no, like if I suppress this, that's what happens. That's where I revert to. Mm-hmm. And this is who I really am. So being able to just dance <laughs> and decide this is what I'm going to do. And I knew West African rhythms are what responded to or I responded to the most. And those are the classes I felt the most free. And, you know, I was just like, this is where I'm going. I don't know, I, you know, I don't know how to describe like that that call was really clear you know you're going to west africa like this is happening and then i went online and this friend i had met through yoga and you know she's just this wonderful angel being and she just put put up something about a retreat that she was running based on dance and music in west africa in the in cote d'Ivoire for september 1st when my lease was going to be up and i didn't really know what i was going but it seemed like i was supposed to leave and it, you know i saw this and i was like okay
0: <laughs>
1: I'm going to do this, and then we're going to see what happens. Like this seems like what it is, and uh, yeah. Then I was in West Africa and Cote d'Ivoire and Guinea and Mali dancing for five months.
0: Wow! Um, freed my soul. Yeah. And so did you? I love that. I love that so much. So did you feel like a lot? You your healing progressed greatly when you started dancing. Yes.
1: <laughs> you know, because I was having relapses you know, every year, year and a half before then, even with yoga. Um, You know, and I don't think that's big. Honestly, I think dance is good for most people. Um, Some form of movement. But I think for me in particular, because it it was like life or death. It was like I needed a dance in order to move these big feelings that have been in me for a long, long time and continue to be. I live life intensely. I feel intensely. I love intensely. I, you know, I, I do it intensely. So I know that about myself. And instead of trying to um, do practices around balancing that or be having a neutral mind, which I've tried, that don't seem to resonate because I like this. <laughs> I like this part of me. I like living this way. So I just want to dance and move it and be bigger with it and let it flow and let it move through me. Right. I definitely noticed once I – so I noticed the authenticity of that, of me claiming my space, of saying, this is something that's important to me. This is who I am. Let me do this in a way that's authentic. Let me, you know, dress how I want to dress and be in the communities I want to and dance in this way and start to use my voice more and own my boundaries and own my yeses and noes. Like, it all just kind of fell in place. Once I started dancing, hmm. because that was my authentic truth. So I don't think that that's necessarily the pathway for everyone. But I think when we get into our authenticity of what is it that moves and shakes me? What is it that feels like going for death? What is it where I just like, I have to do this? And or a complete person. That's what feels like the difference for me. Hmm. And when I said yes to that, everything else kind of opened up. Like, you know, the universe was like, ah, yes, she gets it now. It Mm -hmm. didn't mean the hardship stopped. It didn't mean the physical stuff all all together stopped. You know, like I have a jammed up pelvis. I think that's what it is. I've had it for three weeks. I think it's stuck emotion. Whenever I do my own healing on myself, I start sobbing and it loosens a little bit, but I know that there's more there. Um, I wrote yesterday, I wrote on my blog, and I wrote something really honest. And as I was writing, I could. My, my pelvis, my back, I, I could feel it. We're click, click, kind of like going back into place. I stood up and I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, like my pain is lost now. So I think it's authenticity for me. Sometimes it's movement, but like the last couple of weeks, I haven't been able to move as much as I want to move because I'm all jammed up. Um, and I can't tell if my body wants me to be still or if it wants me to move it out. And sometimes it's a little bit of both. Mm. But it is telling me to be honest with my feelings. And to feel them, um, mm. which I have a tendency to suppress mm. and guilt them and judge them and feel like too much and feel like uh, I can't hold this. I, I wasn't trusted to hold these kind of things when I was little. I can't be trusted now. Um, you know, it'll be too much for my friends. It's too much to ask. I don't want to be a burden. You know, I come from a big family. Like, know your place. Don't take too much attention. Don't. Um, you know whatever ask for too much just deal with whatever you got so it's just that stuff coming back to revisit me a lot of times the pain is the chronic pain when things get stuck and so the call is to move and when I can't, I can't physically move like I haven't been able to in the last couple of weeks that's why I love this challenge too is to do what I can do to visualize it to breathe I dance by breathing like ha huh, you know that's movement within my body to sigh, to hum, like that's all movement so mm-hmm. um, to be clever with the movement too, to allow it to move the way that it wants to, not necessarily the way that I want to force it to, like we have to get to a dance class or I have to move in this way because that has many different manifestations of authenticity.
0: <laughs> mm, so beautiful. So what would your suggestions to um, anyone facing chronic illness at the beginning of their journey or in the middle of their journey seeking solutions, what would you suggest they do?
1: I think number one is community. You know, and that that sometimes that, that seems elusive, especially when we're really sick. And uh, we might not be able to get out and do the things that we want to. That certainly was the case for me in the very beginning. Um, but just finding me, like this podcast, finding an online community, just really like sinking into first being held to receiving, to being like, yeah, I feel really crummy. Let me be with myself and feeling crummy. Let me, you know, feel it. Because <laughs> I think oftentimes, especially in our culture, we're like, we guilt ourselves or we allow other people to guilt us like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps before you've even had a chance to feel it. It's like, well, how do I, what do I do with it? You know, if I can't, if these feelings aren't going to help me um, move through anything, then they're wasteful almost. And it's like, no, like <laughs> feel it, feel it, feel it. And I think community helps us do that. A community that really sees us, that witnesses us, um, that, confirms, you know, our goodness and our strength, and I think really big for me um, was actually to uh, have some people who came into my life um, once I was past the roughest stages of the illness. I know this doesn't relate to people who are very new into the game, but just know that you can always have new people come into your life, too, who are going to see you, um, your strength, and see you far beyond the illness, too. So, it's just kind of a two part for me. Like, indulge in it. Do what almost feels indulgent and in taking care of yourself and slowing down and letting other people, like, really be like, wow, that must be really hard for you. And say that to yourself. Gosh, I'm sorry, you know, body. I know this is really hard for you. You've worked so hard for me for 28 years or 29 years or whatever it is. This is a body that got to dance and move freely and eat whatever it wanted for 27 years. <laughs> And sure you are faced with this struggle of everything suddenly changing and to really be there for yourself and to let yourself be held in that community that sees that. Um, I almost feel like that, that's enough when you're first diagnosed with something or you're really struggling or you're at home or you know, you're really like grasping for straws for hope. Um, yeah. I, I highly recommend the books um, by Tony Bernhard, how to be sick um, I can't remember what the never title is. She's written a couple other scents really, really helped me because she's been bedridden for, you know, a decade or something. Um, the very simple practices, so simple that you can do from bed and just to know like she doesn't try to make it in there. Like you shouldn't feel this way, or here's all the ways to try and like not be miserable or anything. It just, it's very welcoming. It's very forgiving to be able to hear from someone who's very deep in a spiritual practice. Um, she you knows she's a teacher of Buddhism teachings uh, and was, you know, much more prolifically and around different areas before she was bed- bedridden. But to,
0: um,
1: yeah, and, and, and in many ways, I mentioned that book, it was just coming to me because I felt so held reading that book and being like, ha, here's somebody who kind of gets all the different sides of the spectrum and is just holding it you know, and grace and in crumble and give yourself that opportunity to have temper tantrums and to be really sad and to wail and to be grateful and happy on certain days without having to figure out why um, Hmm. you're happy today and you weren't happy yesterday. Like (laughs) just, just to feel. (laughs) And you know, the vehicle for that, for me turned out to be movement. So I, and I think that's true for, for most people, maybe i dance, But to let yourself feel, to hold your feelings, to be in community to hold those feelings, and to find some way to move every single day, even if that's visually. Like in Kundalini Yoga, we teach that when you visualize something, your neurons are still firing in the same way and you're still getting the benefits. And I have seen that, you know, when I'm too ill to physically do the movements, that when I visualize them, I'm like, oh, wait, feels like I'm moving my abs right now, Mm. even though I'm not... so to really believe in that, you know, like, and if you don't, even if you don't, just to fake it till you make it. Um, to just move something, uh, because it will move. It will move something in your
0: body. Uh, that I love it.
1: And tired and exhausted and hopeless and all the things. Move it. Just move it.
0: I love it. I love all of that. Thank you so much, Pre. Tell people where. Tell us where we can find you.
1: I am on Instagram as Pre Royce. I am. You can find me on my Facebook um, at Preach. I have a website, be Beloved and dot com, where I do um, a blog usually weekly up there. But I have um, sessions up there that you can do distance sessions for Reiki and cranial sacral and tantric work and um, tarot, and you know. So you can find me on my website. You can find me on social media. And you can reach out to me anyway. any um, way. There's a contact page on my website. Um, my information is pretty readily available. So don't be shy in reaching out, even if you don't know exactly what it is you want to say to me. <laughs> we can navigate that
0: together. <laughs> Amazing. Preet, thank you so much. You guys, all the listeners, we are holding space for you, and we love you, and we understand if you're mm-hmm. having a really hard day. We totally get it we've both been there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you're gonna be okay it will pass um on your own journey so thank you so much and everyone uh don't forget to check out the patreon page and stay tuned for everything i'm gonna say after preet and i go away thanks thank you you,
1: everyone (laughs) yeah thank you thank you
0: thank you all right guys we'll see you next week bye Thank you so much for listening to Healing Out Loud. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Find me at Shay Jackie on Instagram, my favorite social media platform, and follow me at Jackieshay.com if you want to stay in touch. You can also write to me through Jackieshay.com if you're interested in working with me as your trusted wellness companion. I'm always happy to hear from you with any questions, comments, or concerns. You can also join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shay Facebook group. Have an amazing week, you kick-ass humans. I hope you're able to implement what you learned this week, and I can't wait to share more. Bye.